very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. Give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The moon marks off the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return to lie down in their dens. Then man goes out to his work, to his labor until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. I will sing to the Lord all of my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May the meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. The next scripture reading is from Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 4, and Psalm 19, 1 to 4. Please read with me in the bulletin. In the year of the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to, to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. The heavens declare the, the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's my privilege to introduce this morning three new members uh, of Christ Presbyterian Church who met recently met with uh, the session and were received. Uh, the Turner family, Ron, Debbie, and Hannah, they're on the back row. You're going to have to turn around to see them. Uh, come on, you all stand up so they can see you. Ron is an engineer at FedEx. Debbie is a chef and works in, in, now works at Westminster Academy. And Hannah is a biochemical engineer. Uh, so we're glad you guys are here. Thank you. Also, just a reminder, uh, 
you guys that, I didn't say this during the announcement, you guys that uh, signed up to decorate the church uh, the, for, for Christmas, that's today. If you forgot it, uh, just if you signed up, stay afterwards. There, you'll uh, have a, a great meal and have a good time decorating uh, the sanctuary. If you say, you know, I wish I'd have signed up for that, just stay. They'll be glad to have you, I'm sure. Let's pray together. Father, as always, we bow before you as priests to bring the people around us before you in prayer. You called us to be prophets and Father, we were striving to bring your word to our families, to our children, to our parents, to our neighbors. You've called us to be prophets, to bring the word, to take the word out. But you've also called us to be priests. Father, I pray that we'll be as eager to be priests as we are to be prophets. I pray that we will be faithful and you'll teach us to be faithful, to pray for our husbands, for our wives, for our children, for our parents. To pray for our neighbors. To pray for our brothers and sisters who are hurting. Our Father, we pray this morning for Priscilla Turner. We thank you for that faith that has remained stalwart through this difficult time. We pray that you would hold her up, that you would sustain her, that, Father, she would know the presence of your spirit and that she would look forward with great anticipation. Our Father, we pray for Jim Bennington, for Billy Griggs, that you would give them strength for these days. Father, we pray for Doug Hay that you would continue to heal and thank you, Father, for the healing that has already taken place. We pray that you'll continue to bring healing. Now, Father, we ask that as we open your word, that you would teach us. John Sartell cannot teach, so it will make any difference. But we've heard your voice in this place before. And you've changed us. We're not the same people that we were. And we pray again this morning that we would hear your voice that you would sink your word deep into our hearts. Father, I pray that we will hear you clearly. Maybe some of us for the very first time. In Jesus' name, amen. Whatever happened 
Whatever happened to our wonder? We read in our responsive reading this morning, it's in your bulletin, you can see it there, from Isaiah chapter 6. What a vision. Isaiah was in the temple and suddenly a, a panoramic scene began to develop before his eyes. He saw the Lord sitting on a throne. His regal robes seemed to fill the temple. Just the train of his robe filled the temple. Then he saw these great six-winged creatures, seraphs. A seraphim and the translation in your bulletin is the plural. Seraphs. And they were shouting. Not like one person shouts to another. No. They were shouting in the way that an ambassador announces that the king has just walked into the room. They were announcing that the Lord indeed was present. They were announcing his majestic holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We always dwell, when we come to that, this verse, this passage, this scene, we dwell on those words. Because the characteristic of God that's mentioned most in Scripture is His holiness. The next phrase the seraphs speak, we usually quote as if it was some kind of meaningless spiritual cliche, an afterthought. They shout, the whole earth is full of His glory. That should never be an afterthought. That should never become a spiritualist clay. The whole earth is full of his glory. What a wonderful, pregnant, profound, incredible, delicious ecstasy that is. The whole earth is full of his glory. That means the United States, our nation, is is full of his glory. That means Tennessee is full of his glory. That means Fayette County is full of his glory. Isaiah, you see, You see his glory filling the temple. (laughs) That's nothing. His glory fills all the earth. People, we must not pass over this. We must drink it and drink deeply. We must eat of it and eat heartily and digest it. We read it a few minutes ago from Psalm 104. I'm going to read that from another translation. You can look there at Psalm 104. I'm going to read some parts of it from another translation that is a bit more fluid. He wraps himself in light as a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. He makes clouds his chariots and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes wind his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He makes springs pour out water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He makes cattle grow for, he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate. Bringing forth food from the earth, the Lord provides wine that gladdens the heart of man and oil to make his face shine and bread that sustains his heart. And he goes on and on and on. What was the psalmist saying? The whole earth is full of his glory. The psalmist could not look at any part of creation without wonder. 
What's happened to our wonder? In every part of the creation, he saw wonder. He saw God's hand. He saw God's character and beauty. And he stood in awe of it. How come we do not walk out into our world? Why do we not walk out into this creation and say, on a, on a daily basis, the whole earth is full of his glory? Charles Williams, one of the inklings of the group, the literary group uh, with J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. He was a friend. Williams was a friend of Lewis and Tolkien. Williams said this, the whole world, all of creation is a sacrament with a small s. It can't be said better than that. That's what the angels were saying. The whole earth is full of his glory. Why don't I marvel at the yellow and purple pansies that I see and walk by in my flower bed every morning or evening? Why don't I marvel at the beauty of the storm as the clouds grow dark and the rain refreshes the ground? Why don't I marvel at the tear in my granddaughter's eye when her heart is hurt? Why don't you marvel at the, at the touch of your wife's lips? You see, we don't think about God's glory in those things. But it is his glory. He owns them all. He made them all. They're his. And he made them for our benefit and said, here, here it is. There was a tyrant who had an ironclad grip over all the parts of his kingdom except one frustrating area that he couldn't control. He was unable to destroy his people's belief in God. He summoned his advisors and he put this question to them. Where can I hide God so that my people will finally forget him? Where can I hide God? One counselor, they talked about it, one counselor suggested that they hide God on the dark side of the moon. That was debated back and forth. And finally they said, no, that won't do because surely science one day will provide for space travel and they'll find God on the dark side of the moon. Another counselor said, well, let's bury him in the deepest part of the sea, under the seabed. And they said, no, for the same reason. Someday we will know how to go there scientifically and they'll find God there. Finally, the oldest and wisest counselor said, I know where we will hide God. We will hide God in the ordinary events of every day. And that's what they did. And the tyrant ruled. These people never saw God as they lived out their busy lives. I love that parable. The writer was making a powerful statement. God is there in what we call the ordinary of every day. He's there. And his glory is there. His glory is present. Listen to this from Psalm 19. It, 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 it's another scripture we read this morning. It was, I think, the last scripture that we read this morning. And it's in your bulletin. The heavens declare, the heavens, the heavens declare, they preach the glory of God. The skies, the skies proclaim, they preach the work of his hands. Day after day, they, the skies, the firmament, 
they pour forth speech. They speak. And what do they speak about? The glory of God. Night after night, they display knowledge. They display his knowledge. And then he says this, there's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out to all the earth. What's he saying? The creation daily all around us declares the glory of God. They, creation speaks a language. It transcends English and French and Chinese and Arabic and Spanish. Creation's story goes to the very ends of the earth. What's happened to our wonder? Emerson observed, and I think he's right about this. He said, if the stars only came out one time a year, everyone in the entire earth would stay up all night just to see them. He was saying, we've seen the stars so often, we don't bother to look anymore. You think that might be what happened to our wonder? Another king was seated in his garden. He was not a believer. And one of his counselors who was, was speaking of the wonderful works of God. And the king said, show me a sign and I will believe. And so his counselor, his advisor, brought him four acorns. And he said, your majesty, I want you to plant these four acorns here. And then I want you to look into this pool. And so the king planted the four acorns. And then he looked into the pool. And then the counselor said, now look up. And the king looked up and here were these four gigantic oak trees, huge. And he said, it's a miracle. It's a wonder. He said, I believe. And the counselor said, how long did you look into the pool? He said, oh, just a few seconds. He said, your majesty, 80 years passed. His majesty was very, he, he looked, he, he couldn't believe it. He looked and his, his clothes were threadbare, old. He looked into the pool and he was a very old man. And he turned to his counselor and became angry and he said, there was no miracle then. There was no wonder. His counselor looked at him and said, your majesty, it's God's work. Whether he did it in one second or whether he did it in 80 years, there's still the wonder. Again, the king saw the oak trees growing every day. He had become accustomed to seeing them, so he didn't see the wonder of it. That sounds right, doesn't it? Does that sound right? I don't think it is. Think about this. Those seraphs that were, seeing, that were saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. How long had they been seeing God's glory? How long had they been in God's presence? For a year? <laughs> no, for a century? Maybe for a thousand years. Maybe for 10,000 years. Maybe for a million years. 
Maybe every day for a million years they had been singing. But they didn't stop. They were just struck with awe. They still saw the glory. What is the problem then? Why have we lost our wonder? A few years ago, I was talking to someone who was telling me about a vision problem that a member of his family was having. He said that this person has excellent eyes. The mechanics of his eyes are good. There's nothing wrong with the lens. There's nothing wrong with the cornea. He said that the person's eyes are capable in and of themselves of having 20-20 vision, and yet he was gradually losing his sight. Why? There was a problem in the part of the brain that records what the eye was seeing. The person could be, see an apple, and his eyes could see the apple. But the brain was not telling him that it was an apple. I think that's very much our problem. The visible glory of God in creation, the incredible, the beauty, the, the, the sacrament with the little else is everywhere we look. And our eyes see these things. But the darkness of our souls and in our hearts keep us from seeing the glory. Think about it. The sun is risen. We've been kept safe through the night. It's a new day. This is a day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's what the scripture says. It's part of the glory. The day is a gift from God's hand. Every day is a gift from God's hand. And we're, we're still sinners. <laughs> we don't deserve the day. His grace is pure grace. And we get out of bed and we're, we're breathing his air. He, he gives us strength to walk. We have a bit of breakfast and we're eating his food. This is a day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Well, is it just some days that he's made? Is it just weekend days? Is it just a day when no one, get, when no one gets sick or no one dies? Is it only a day he's made When everyone is well on that day? No. Every day. Every day is a gift. Every day he gives us in our lives is a gift. There's glory in it. No, but what are we saying when we step into the shower? Oh, man. This is going to be a rough day. It really is. You know, I really don't want to go to work today. I've got this thing with my boss. And I hate this weather. I mean, it's 15 degrees outside. See, God only makes the days. I told a friend of mine, uh, you know, I love the cold weather. I just love weather. You know, the, every, all of the cold, the heat. <clears throat> he goes to Florida every year. 
lives in Lexington, Kentucky. I hope he's listening to, to this this morning. Uh, and he called me one winter day uh, from Florida, from Naples. And he said, John, he said, look, I've looked at the weather in Lexington. He said, you've got snow, you've got sleet. It's an awful day. It's the middle of the week. He said, I just checked and you can get a, you and Janet get a flight out of Cincinnati today and it will cost each, you know, for each ticket will cost less than a hundred dollars. He said, and I'll pay that if you'll just come. He said, it's 80 degrees down here. You can come down and we'll play golf. I said, Gary, I said, you want me? I said, it's snowing here in Lexington, sleeting. It's beautiful. I said, it is a great, great winter day. You want me to leave a great snowy winter day and come to Florida where you don't have any snow? And I later told him, I said, Gary, your problem is that you think God only makes, you know, when it says, when it, it, it says, this is a day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. You think that only pertains to sunshiny days. It pertains to all days. The glory is there. But what do we do? We complain. Let me ask you this. Do you think, this is a test that you can give yourself. Do you think that through the day you express your gratitude or you express yourself through words of gratitude more than you do through complaining words. What do you do? Is there more gratitude than complaining? It's a good test. It's a very good test. Remember the children of Israel in the wilderness? God had just delivered them from Egypt. They had seen, they had physically seen God go to war with Egypt and here came these ten plagues and the plagues hit Egypt and didn't hit the children of Israel. Did you know that? God spared them. And, and they literally had, had the Egyptians were, who at, at one time were holding them prisoner were giving them gifts to leave. Get out. Here's the spoils. Take them with you. It was like they didn't lift a finger, but it was like they were a conquering army, but it was, it was God doing that. They saw the Egyptian army literally destroyed in the Red Sea. And then there was the awesome, the awesome thing at Sinai. And, and there was a cloud that went in front of them by day, every day to guide them. And there was a pillar of fire at night. Can you imagine that? And what did they do? Oh, Moses, this is meager food we're eating. We hate this. We, we, we. We, we ate better when we were slaves back in Egypt. And so God sends manna. All they had to do was walk out every morning and pick up the manna. But in just a few weeks, just a few months, I'm tired of this manna. We need meat. And what did God do? God sent a quail. Quail now. I mean, he could, could have sent them something. 
That's exquisite. But he sent a quail. They didn't have to go out and shoot them. They had quail all over. And what did they do? They came to a time when they were complaining about the quail. I don't think they had just grown accustomed to it. I don't think that had anything to do with it. I think it was where they were spiritually on the inside. I think they had forgotten the goodness of God. I think they had forgotten all that God had done for them. I think they were seeing what their dark and sinful hearts wanted them to see. It's so easy to get there. It was what was on the inside of them that was affecting their vision. People, that's why. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to bring his word in power to us. That's why we need Sundays. That's why we need Thanksgiving services and feasts. God brings us here and he causes us to see reality, to see the world as it really is. There's nothing that we have. That's the message from this pulpit. Every Sunday. There's nothing we have that we did not receive. And there's nothing we have that wasn't given by God's grace. It's all by grace. Some of you may be thinking, well, John, you haven't mentioned the greatest thing of all. The glory of all glories. You've not mentioned the incarnation that this God Almighty that, that Isaiah saw became flesh and lived among us for the single purpose. For the single purpose. giving his life for our sins. Just like I passed by the pansy bit, I can pass by the cross and the wonder's gone. I can glibly slay, say, he died for my sins. See, that's God's providence. That's not just God's creation. That's God's providence. And what we just learn is that, that whether we're looking at the creation, the oceans, the mountains, whatever, the Mississippi, whatever. Wherever we look in creation, there's the glory of God. The whole earth is full of His glory. But also... Where you look in his providence, there's the glory of God. What's the most well-known emblem in the Christian faith? It's the cross, isn't it? Well, what's it symbolize? I mean, the crucifixion was bloody. It was gory. If you had have been there, you would have turned your face away when they, they put the nails in his hands. 
Paul. Help, Jim. It was a gruesome sight. And I promise you, the Apostle John was there. And I promise you that day, he didn't see any glory. It was awful. But what was happening? It was a place where Jesus, our elder brother, took our sins, our guilt, and our punishment on himself. There at that moment as he descended into hell. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even there was glory. Because a just God was destroying evil. Because a just God was saving his people. look at the cross today and there's not a more beautiful sight in all of God's providence than the cross. What is the center of our history? What is the center of all history? The cross of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. God redeeming his creation. There's no other sight as glorious. Why is this important? Why? Why? Why must be wonder? Why must there be wonder in all? Well, this week we're called to do two acts. We're called to give thanks and we're called to feast. This is, as I said in our announcement this morning, this is a biblical holiday. It's a holiday of the United States, but it comes out of Judeo-Christian culture. You see it at the end of the harvest season in Israel, they had Thanksgiving. But our Thanksgiving day is paltry. God called them all together and said, you come and worship, you come and praise, and you feast. You get out the wine. You get all the best bread. You get all that you can get. Slay the lambs. And feast. We have one Thanksgiving day. God demanded that they feasted for that they would feast for a week. Think about that. For a week. The God of Scripture says far more about feasting than he does fasting. That's why it's important. Because you cannot give thanks and you can't feast like you should give thanks and you can't feast like you should feast unless you've stood in awe of God's goodness. Now maybe you're waiting this morning for a magic formula that will cause us to wonder every hour of every day. Well, I don't have that. And I do know that it is quite impossible to maintain the wonder of the seraphs because we have sinful hearts and those sinful hearts remain selfish and sinful hearts remain ever present. But think on this. We're not where we were. 
We're not where we were. Think of the vast number of poor souls that look at his creation every day, every week, every month, every year, and they never see his glory. They never see his glory. They never see it. They walk through every day blind to the wonders around them. They see the cross and it means nothing. They hear the gospel and it means nothing. Now there is a poor soul. They suffer from a blindness that's much worse than a physical blindness. That's not us. That's not me. And that's not you. Because we've seen the glory. We've seen the glory of the rising sun. We've seen the glory of the cross. We've seen the glory of the resurrection. So much so that you can see a person dying before you. Taking their last breaths. And you know. In a moment they will be in glory. There's no place on this earth. There's no day on this earth. I don't care whether you're in a concentration camp or how bad it is. The glory of God is not present. And God is not at work. Maybe. Maybe it will help us to hold on to this Sight. Maybe it will help us to hold on and be in awe if we understand that we are sinners. And sometimes we need to pray, Father, show me, remind me that I am a sinner. I never want to walk through a day that I think I'm deserving. And I'm really doing God a favor. I think we can begin every day asking God just to open our eyes. Open our eyes wider. Father, you've shown us the glory before. Show me, remind me this day. Open my eyes. Cause me to walk through this day seeing that your hand is at work. I think we can look at our children with that, with that great love that we have only for our children. And remember that God loved his son more, that the father loved his son more than we love our children, far more. And yet he gave him for the riffraff of this world. That's something we would not do. And he did it for us. I think we can get in the habit, instead of counting the offenses through the day, that we can get in the habit of counting the blessings. I think we can get in the habit of going to bed every night and before we go to sleep, say, I'm going to remember 10, I'm going to name 10 blessings that I received from the day and I'm going to go to sleep thanking God. There is no group of people on this earth that ought to celebrate this Thursday like the people of Jesus Christ. No one. The world should look at us on Thursday 
and literally say, God must have done something great for them. Look at them feast. I pray that the wonder of our thanksgiving will be so profound and our feasting will be so filled with great joy and laughter that the world will envy our party. People, the whole earth is full of his glory. Our hymn is most appropriate. Give to our God immortal praise. <clears throat>